Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 97.1 FM Talk podcast. So I was off uh, a few days, of course, last Friday. I was in Las Vegas and I saw the U2 show at Sphere, which is this is amazing new um, facility, and the technology is mind-blowing. However, I have some maybe different feelings about the show itself with you two that I wanted to share, and I wanted to do that with uh, our friend Tim Summer. Oh, great. Who is now a contributor to the Rock and Roll Globe. Of course, he's a former music journalist, and well, he's still a music journalist, former record executive, wrote the uh, the book on Hootie and the Blowfish because he was a A&R guy that signed Hootie and the Blowfish. But I knew Tim would have some thoughts. He hasn't seen the show, but he wrote this piece a week ago that I read, which was fascinating, about hanging out, true story, when Bono and the Edge were 18, 19, Tim Summer also 18, 19, hanging out with those guys, having them play music when they were just starting out in a hotel room, and the story's kind of incredible. And I also thought about him because I sent him a text after I saw the show. I'm like, dude, I think you would have walked out of this. He would have hated, because he's kind of an anti, you know, he's a rock and roll guy. He's probably listening right now, so he's going to give me some trouble if I mangle his words, but you know, that's about the visuals and I'm all for technology and, and a spectacular right. experience, but it takes away from the music, which is, I think what my criticism would be, but we'll get into that. We have an audio cut of the day as well coming up later this hour. Um, you heard the promo just a couple of minutes ago for our give back trivia night, which is coming up January 5th at the Moolah Shrine Center. A table of 10 is only $200. And this is all to raise money for the tree hope campaign at SSM health, Cardinal Glenn and children's hospital. One of the people that, that make, we had Joy Vitale from the blues on yesterday, a couple other folks this week and more to come, but Bob Costas also a very important part of that facility and they even named something after him over there there's a wing named the Costa Centers Bob's been nice enough the last few years to join us he's here again tonight to talk a little about Cardinal Glennon and a little Cardinals baseball and sports Mr. Costas how are you I'm well happy holidays to everyone happy holidays to you let's um before we get in there's a fair amount I don't know if you noticed but there's a fair amount of sports issues in St. Louis that we could probably uh, chat about here yes. <laughs> including yes. including a coach that got let go a couple of days ago. But I do want to highlight some of the things and all the great work you've done and why SSM Health, Cardinal Glenn and Children's Hospital has been and remains so important to you over all these years. Well, you know, I've said this before, and I apologize if some people have heard it previously, but when I got to KMOX in the mid-'70s, Jack Buck, of course, was the sports director and the legendary voice of the Cardinals. And in addition to all of his great broadcasting work, both in St. Louis and nationally, there was no one, no public figure I could think of who was more generous with his time, more compassionate than Jack Buck. And he must have shown up, set the all-time record. He must have shown up at as many charity events and thrown his name behind as many good causes as Stan Musial had hits. And I think everybody there and throughout St. Louis was influenced by him. Maybe you couldn't match him. But that was the template. If you're lucky enough to have some visibility and some name recognition, what can you do 
to make good use of that beyond being a good broadcaster. So I was involved even in the late 80s, by the late 80s, I was involved in a number of St. Louis charities. And then Alan Allred, a prominent attorney in St. Louis, came to me. He'd been involved with Cardinal Glennon and said, look, we don't want you to give up any of the other stuff, but we want this to be a central thing. We want you to do this for us every year. Uh, And we wound up doing it for 25 years. Uh, The first few years, we did it at the Adams Mark Hotel, and it was kind of like a standard sports banquet kind of situation with a dais. We tried to get some big-name sports guests, and we did. But it was more like the general thing. And then in the 90s, we moved it to the Fox Theater, and it became just an evening of entertainment. No speeches, no dais, the kind of show you'd plunk down money for even if a great cause wasn't associated with it. Um, And it was very, very successful and happy to say that we raised millions and millions of dollars for a very, very good cause. And now they have a new project underway. Um, There'll be a new Cardinal Glennon facility. It'll all be state of the art. Um, The great thing about Cardinal Glennon, and if it's not alone in this, it's on a very short list where you can truly make this claim. The combination of expertise and empathy, the medical expertise, but also the atmosphere of kindness and compassion. We know how difficult it is uh, for parents to bring a child in, a child with cancer or some other life-threatening situation. Uh, a hospital can be a foreboding place, but if you've ever been to Cardinal Glennon, they make it as kid-friendly and as family-comforting as possible. And that combination of kindness and expertise is something that makes me proud to be part of Cardinal Glennon. Well, and I, I've been lucky the last few years, and even though I'm an audio guy, uh, you know, it helps to get over there and to see things in the music therapy program, and I've seen how they go to work and how they help these families. I've also said, I think, you know, the, the patients are one thing, but sometimes maybe the uh, the family members of the patients need the help yeah. more, and that's why it's so yeah. supportive, for sure. Uh, well, mm-hmm. it, it's great work, and again, if you want to go to the trivia night, we'd love to see you there on the 5th. It's just uh, two weeks from tonight, which is kind of hard to believe. <laughs> well, three weeks. I'm not doing, I'm not good at math, uh, Bob. I guess it's three weeks from tonight because of New Year's skipping a week. Do you have four to five hours here this afternoon to talk about the Cardinals? I think we might maybe four to five days, something like that. Let's keep it something closer (laughs) to four to five minutes, (laughs) maybe 14 or 15 minutes. Oh, what can you say about this season? I mean, obviously, many of us have never experienced it. We don't have memories to the early 90s to remember, you know, some dark periods. But this was just such a weird year and the fans aren't used to it. It was a bit of a jolt to the system, wasn't it? It was because the Cardinals may not always get to the World Series or even the LCS, but they're almost always competitive, uh, at least for a generation plus, always competitive. Last year was a terrible year by Cardinals standards. Uh, their pitching staff needs bolstering and bolstering rather, and they've all already gotten Sonny Gray, who's one of the best in the game. They've gotten Lance Lynn, a veteran who will at least take the ball and give you innings. Uh, not quite as good as he was his first time around with the Cardinals or even a few years ago with the White Sox, but a reliable guy uh, that you can give the ball to and he'll take it every time. And I don't think they're done. Uh, They have some talent on the roster that's attracted to other teams, so they're in position to make some trades. And who knows what they might do with some of the remaining free agents who are out there. But there is a sense of urgency now. John Moselak and Bill DeWitt, they understand Uh, They feel it, not just as a business imperative, but as a baseball imperative. They're they're baseball guys. They're proud to be part of the Cardinal tradition, uh, and they feel an obligation to put an entertaining and competitive team on the field year in and year out, which is essentially what they've done, and let's hope that last year was just an aberration. 
You know, I, I am not, nor have I ever been a, a Mo basher, and I like him. I like him personally. I like his snarky wit sometimes as well. That sometimes people don't appreciate. And and I, I I think it's unfair. Look, he's probably made mistakes. He would admit it, but it's unfair for the fans to not consider how some of these teams out there. You know, it's tough to win championships. You see teams like the Dodgers and the Mets opening checkbooks. There's no guarantee, even with. Otani, that the Dodgers are going to get there again next year. So it, it's a tough, tough thing. And I, I'm not saying that they weren't aware a year ago that, you know, we needed pitching and there weren't some errors made over last offseason. But I do feel like, you know, you have a core of a team that can certainly compete. Well, in terms of the lineup they're likely to put on the field, I don't think that's a problem. If they make significant improvements to their pitching staff, then they should be competitive again, especially in the National League Central. Uh, they're well positioned in that regard. Uh, you wouldn't want to find yourself necessarily in the East or the West uh, because you got powerhouse teams there with huge payrolls. But the Cardinals should be able to get right back into the mix in the National League Central. Bob, you're talking to someone here who has suffered for a long time as a Mizzou football fan. Like, I, I survived Woody's wagon, you know, and things like that. I think many of us did. But what a year for Coach Drinkwitz. And if you had a 12-team playoff this year, Mizzou would be playing in it. Uh, I hope they can win this Cotton Bowl. But, wow, what, what a great season. Yeah, a great season for them. I cannot claim any deep knowledge of what goes on in college football overall. Uh, I sort of narrowed the things that I follow closely. Uh, to baseball and a little bit of the NBA. Uh, and I'll watch, of course, I'll watch March Madness. Uh, one of the good things about where I am now is I don't have to absorb and really be at the ready with deep knowledge of as many things as I used to. Baseball, I'm still right there with it. It's always been my favorite sport. But the great thing is this. I know the rules. I know the dynamics. I don't have to even know who the quarterback or the head coach is. If I want to sit down and enjoy the game, the announcers will fill me in. And so if I'm channel surfing and I see a game in the fourth quarter and it's a close game, okay, I'll stop there. But am I aware of or obsessed by who Mizzou might recruit or who the Arizona Cardinals, if they still have fans in St. Louis or the Rams, if they still have fans in St. Louis and people aren't eternally ticked off at both of them, you know, who they might draft in the fourth round, I'm not paying any attention to that anymore. Well, even if you were, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge NFL fan, and I don't even know if you depress me right now. Can I name, you know, six starting quarterbacks in the NFL because there's so many different names people have never heard of and maybe will never hear of again, but it has been. Well, um, that's because of attrition. That's yeah, because of attrition. Yeah. Quarterbacks, quarterbacks get hurt. You need to have two decent quarterbacks and sometimes three to make it through a 17-game NFL season, so. There's that. Well, what's your take currently? Um, are you dialed in? Or I, I think I even saw you're doing some stuff on CNN when there's some breaking stories on the LIV PGA thing. I, I was, my heart was broken with the John Rom news just because I love John Rom. I love the PGA. I never watched any of the LIV mm -hmm. stuff. So I, you know, I guess as a, a pretty big fan of uh, professional golf, I was hoping that they would get this merger together and we can see some, you know, moments of kumbaya, but that's looking like that's in jeopardy, isn't it? Yeah, uh, they thought they had something, at least the framework of a deal a few months ago. Um, look, no one cares at this point about the outcome of any live tournament. I've never heard one person no. talk about it. Yeah. You know, 54 holes, no cuts, shotgun starts in some cases. Um, the money is the only thing that's driving it. But one of the things that puts the PGA in a tough position and takes leverage away from them, it's that the four majors – including, ironically, the PGA championship, are not controlled by the PGA. And so a player, whether it's Kepka or Rahm or Mickelson or whomever, can go to live, collect a king's ransom, 
but they're still not. They're barred from the Greater Greensboro Open or something, but they're not barred from the Masters or the British Open or the U.S. Open or the PGA. And that's where you really make your legacy. And that's where the eyeballs are. So John Rahm is not disappearing to live in the minds of most golf fans. He'll be back at the events that matter most. So all the PGA can offer here is the idea of tradition and credibility, uh, that you build your legacy not just at the majors, but in terms of tour victories and whatnot. But they cannot compete money-wise. They tried to up the purses, and they did up the purses. But when you're talking about the Saudi sovereign wealth fund or sovereign investment fund, we're talking about literally hundreds of billions of dollars, a bottomless well, as much as they want to spend, to either become a big factor in golf or somehow drive the PGA to its knees. Uh, I just don't see any other way. I don't see how the PGA can counter it. If somebody, you know, Tiger Woods didn't want to go. Um, Rory McIlroy McElroy didn't want to go. But a lot of people, perhaps you can't blame them if you were yeah, in their shoes. I know. The golf spikes, even if they've already made tens of millions of dollars, somebody says, hey, we'll give you $400 million and you don't even have to win again. Just show up. You don't even have to win. Yeah, a lot of people would be tempted by that in an eight against the law. Right. It's pretty easy to be a purist when, when you know, if someone's throwing numbers that, like that at you, I, good luck being a purist. I completely get right. I'm just worried they're, they're ruining the game of golf, and that's my, my great concern. I, I, because I don't, I I don't think it's helpful. From the, stand, from the standpoint of the casual fan, I don't think it's helpful at all in terms of the prestige and the kind of all the circumstances that surround golf. I don't see this as being a positive. Do you play, you know, I think my, my friend, Jeff drew, I had lunch with him today. He's known as the King at Bell Reef country club. He invites me every once yeah. in a while. He gave me, um, he, I think at one point he gave me your locker at Bell Reef and I was disappointed that I couldn't loot anything out of it, Bob. I just have to tell you. Yeah. There's nothing in there except <laughs> cobwebs. Um, and I used to play pretty regularly. My son and I would play, sometimes go out in the summertime, you know, when it's hot, go out and play nine holes at six o'clock at Bell Reef. It's a wonderful course. I've, all the, all the holes are etched in my memory still, not that I conquered any of them. Um, and luckily, you know, when I'm back in St. Louis, if I want to play there or someplace else I can, but Bell Reef is still what I would call my home course. Not that I ever distinguished myself that much on the course. I love it there. And I'm very lucky to every once in a while, a few times a year, be invited to play. Uh, Mr. Casas, it's great to have you on. You're, you're always great to us here and to me, and I appreciate it. And thanks for everything you've done for uh, SSM Health, Cardinal Glenn and Children's Hospital. We're going to get people revved up and go to the trivia night here in a couple of weeks. And, Bob, you have a great Christmas and a great holiday. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you as well and to the entire audience. And thanks for helping out with the Cardinal Glennon idea. Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I still have an audio cut of the day before the afternoon is over. And just as a programming note, I'll be here next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, off Thursday and Friday. And I was gone this week a little bit more than anticipated because of some things that were happening at home. So uh, I think we're all kind of shifting into holiday mode. Now, I was gone part of those days because I was in Las Vegas a week ago to see you two at Sphere. And interestingly enough, right before that show, I read a piece in the Rock and Roll Globe from our friend Tim Summer, music journalist, former record executive, and um, a contributor to the Rock and Roll Globe about this amazing story hanging with Bono and The Edge years ago, like when they were all teenagers, basically. Mr. Tim Summer, Merry Christmas. How are you? I can't wait to hear this story in more detailed fashion here this afternoon on the radio. And then I have to share my sphere experience as well. How are you? Well, I'm dying to hear about your sphere, your sphere, 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 sphere. That's how you pronounce it, right? I think so. I'm dying to hear about that. And uh, first of all, just thank you again to all of you to having me on the show. And I can't believe that I had Bob Costas as an opening act. Yeah, how about that? Costas. That is just, he is, he is... He's just the greatest, and uh, it really was, it really is an honor to share space in the ether with him. Well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people don't know, you know, when I when I always tell people about my radio history, and I, I landed here two and a half years ago on 97.1, but was on KMOX for, you know, 13, 14 years during Afternoon Drive. And, that you know, I always say, when I'm trying to explain the station, Bob Costas started here, Joe yeah. Buck. People know Joe Buck. They don't know his dad as much these days. But, yeah, Costas was a KMOX guy in the 70s. You know... In so many ways, and this would be a great thing to write about one day, we are formed by the sportscasters of our youth and the sportscasters of our formative years. Think of that. Think of the impression these people made on you when you were 10, 11, 12. Oh, they did. 22, 25, 27. How you were formed by those voices on the radio, by those voices on TV. And what a one, how wonderful it is that you, Mark, can get to connect with these people. I just think that's amazing. Well, Tim, I want to share my, my feelings, and I'm an outlier here on Sphere, although I think you'd be there with me. But I want you to share this, this story of what happened. Was, was well, this in 1980? Because you guys were all teenagers. It happened in December 6, 1980, uh, which is an interesting date because it's exactly two days before John Lennon was assassinated oh, yeah. in the same city. Now, I was already working actively as a journalist when I was a teenager. That is a wonderful and strange story, which we don't need to go into now. That, In fact, my career as a journalist was never hotter than I was when I was 17, 18, 19 years old. But as I said, that's another story. Now, I was... I saw that movie about you, Almost Famous, right? Cameron Crowe did yes. that movie. <laughs> it, is, it is parallel to that. I know anyway. it is. It sounds like it, yeah. Um, on December 6, 1980, I was scheduled to interview you two twice. It was their first day ever, E-V-E-R, their first day ever in New York City. And uh, I was scheduled to interview them twice, once for a magazine called Trouser Press and once for my college radio station, WNYU. And that's, so that's a big part of their day. I mean, they may have had another interview or two that day, but really they weren't very famous. Uh, their first album had just come out in the United States. Uh, they were playing a gig that night, 
uh, at the Ritz, which is a small venue. And in fact, they played, there weren't that many people there. I'd say you could have walked right up to the front of the stage. There were probably 200 people in a room that would hold a thousand. Hmm. Um, so on that afternoon, December 6, 1980, I was going to interview you two twice. So first I did the interview for the print. And then a friend of mine named Mike uh, came over and bought the tape recorder, and we did the interview for WNYU. Now, at the end of that interview, so most of the day, I spent most of the afternoon with these guys. And it is important to remember, I'm 18 years old. Bono was either 19 or 20. He may have just turned 20. And he was an excited, excitable, enthusiastic, friendly, charming young man. Now, this is still such an unbelievable story that when I tell it, I have to pinch myself. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. At the end of this interview, at the end of the second of the two interviews I did with you two, Bono says to me, and Mike, because I'm with my friend Mike, Bono says to both of us, hey, the Edge went over to 48th Street today. 48th Street is a street in New York City where all the music stores used to be. Uh, Edge went over to 48th Street today, and he bought a couple of new acoustic guitars. We want to try them out. Do you guys want to come up to the room and hear some songs? And we're like, yeah, sure, we're not doing anything. The cafeteria back in the dorm doesn't open for another hour. Let's go. Um, so Mike and I went up to the room in the Gramercy Park Hotel, which was a bit shabby then. It's since been refurbished. Bono and the Edge were sharing a room at the Gramercy Park Hotel, and uh, I can guarantee you they no longer share hotel rooms. <laughs> I think um, you're right about that. And by the way, not they, even, share even at that time, though, you, you were you, like they were calling him the Edge, right? Yes. Okay. They that's, referred that's to each other too. as Bono and the Edge. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Mike and I went up to the room, and we they each sat on their own beds with their acoustic guitars. Michael and I sat on the floor. I remember very specifically that I was sitting between the radiator and the TV. Um, and Bono and the Edge played us four songs. Just gave us a little, I mean, they didn't say, hey, we're Bono and the Edge, we're going to give you a mini concert. They went, hey, we want to try out our guitars. Do you guys want to sit around and hear us play some songs? We went, yes, and they played four songs for us. Now, you mentioned in the piece, I think you said, you can't even really remember what songs they were, right, at this no, point? No, I don't. I don't yeah. remember at all. Yeah. Which is interesting, because at the moment, and... This sounds ridiculous, but it is true. At the moment, when I was sitting on the floor of the Gramercy Park Hotel, of the room that Bono and the Ed shared, as I was sitting there on the floor, I remember thinking to myself, you know, just in case these guys become the biggest band in the world, which, mind you, seemed very, very, very unlikely (laughs) at that point, just in case these guys become the biggest band in the world, you better remember what's going on here today. But alas, I don't. Yeah, but mm. that is so fascinating, considering that you were all the same ages, too, basically. Now, yeah, how we much so how much did we know about, because I don't even remember hearing about you two probably until well after 1980, but Boy had just come out that year, yeah. right? Boy had just come out, had just come out. I had been familiar with the band a little longer because I had a friend at NYU who had played me uh, their singles that came out on the Irish CBS label. And I really liked them. I thought they were very interesting. Now, there's another story that goes with that day, which is earlier in the day when I first met Bono. And Bono was very excited. As I said, was very charming, was very friendly. Bono Did he have dark glasses me, on in 1980? Uh, no, no, okay, no, he right, didn't. Just checking. Ah. Just checking. 
Now, this is, a, this is a, a funny part of this story. When I first met Bono, he was all excited, and he says to me, you know, I went, I went walking out in Greenwich Village last night. He got in late the night before. And got to remember, they had never been to New York yeah, City that's before. Crazy, right. So Bono says, I went, I went for a walk in Greenwich Village last night. I've been reading about Greenwich Village my whole life. So I said, first thing I did when I got to the hotel is I got out, and I took a cab down to Greenwich Village, and I walked around Greenwich Village. And you know... I walked into a bar, and there was nothing but men in there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is absolutely a true story. Absolutely. They didn't true have gay story. bars in Dublin, I guess, at the time. I guess they did have gay bars in Dublin, but I guess young Bono yeah, yeah, right. didn't go into him. He, it wasn't like he was shocked, but he was really surprised. He had never seen anything like it. Well, I'm, you know, New York probably still is very unique compared to the rest of the planet. Certainly in 1980, it had to be. Yes, it was, sir. Yeah. Well... So that's a great story. I really, I love rock and roll stories like that. And I really, I thought about Tim last week because um, you haven't seen the show at Sphere. I've seen you two previously twice, once here at Bush Stadium and one time at the Bradley Center, the former Bradley Center in Milwaukee. The first time I saw them, they were spectacular. And I thought the, the, the show at Bush Stadium was great too. So I have seen Tim, you know, I think you know this. I go to Las Vegas quite a bit, certainly in the last four years. I've seen Sphere being built. Sue and I have talked about it. You know, there's a lot of hype because it makes the news with the smiley face and some of the things that are happening with the planes landing. And then the residency gets announced. And my friend who lives out there, Rick Niner, who grew up here in St. Louis, we've been talking for a couple of years. What the hell are they going to do with this thing, right? And then we hear Darren Aronofsky's got this movie that's a format that's specifically suited for what they built at Sphere. That's part of what they're going to do. And then the U2 thing gets announced. Well, I had already planned this trip out there for last weekend in September, and we happened to look at tickets, and there were some tickets available for Friday night. So I see a lot of music out there. So what I would say is that Sphere was really incredible from a technological perspective. But, and I think you more than anyone, people listening right now are maybe going to think I'm crazy. I'm an outlier. I thought as a rock show, it was very, very mediocre. And it's a little odd just because you have this stage that's wide open and you have Bono the Edge. Um, you don't have Adam Clayton because, or wait, Adam Clayton's the one that is there. I'm sorry. Larry, Larry Mullen. Mullen. Larry Mullen's sick. So it's all three of them on stage. The stage changes colors, but it doesn't look like a typical rock well, stage me, because it's let different. Let me ask you two questions. Um, because I think, uh, you know, I've seen enough of the footage and it does yeah, look incredible. Yeah. Let me ask you two questions. Did you, Number one, did you two need to have been there mm. for the experience? For, were no. they secondary, tertiary? Yeah, they were, were secondary you, to it. I mean, it, there was yeah. a moment. I, I tried to, I don't even think I did this justice. There's a moment late in the show where he basically, Bono says, let's make the sphere disappear. And it's almost like you're sitting in that place and half of it, half the walls just drop and you're looking out at the strip and you're looking at, you know, the Venetian and you see the high roller, the, the Ferris wheel. And then they magically, in reverse time, they show you how the strip came about. In other words, they go backwards in time and you see the cranes going down and the buildings must, getting small. must have been spectacular. And, it was, and then you see the desert and all of a sudden there's reference, I can't remember exactly what song, but it really fits perfectly with the theme of the show. So that kind of stuff was mind-blowing and I did come away with this um, and my friends who were with me, we both agreed that this place has a lot of potential if you put the right artists in there. But for me, this was more about the hype as much as not... Look, a good rock show, Tim... I feel it in my bones. I feel it mm-hmm. in my heart. I feel that there's energy. I want to just, you know, pump my fists. And, and I do that because I, I love music, but I just felt yeah. like there was something missing. Now, maybe it was like, because I had too high expectations. I don't know. Like Bruce Springsteen, 
part of U2's, what they have done for 40 years is make a connection with their audience, made every member of that audience. And when they played stadiums and when they played arenas, it was very important to them to make every person feel they were part of that show, every person feel they were being talked to, which is something Mr. Spring seems very good at as well, is to make even the person in the back row of the stadium think that they are being played to. You two are a band like Bruce Springsteen, like The Clash used to be, who want to, who are about making a connection with the audience. Now, let me ask you, doesn't the Sphere show take away the idea of making that connection with an audience? And if you take that away, are you left with just an amazing experience like you would get, say, in a planetarium or something? Do you need the live? Do you yeah, need that, the live? see, that's a great question. And what Bono actually points that out, he actually, at the end of the show, talks about the fan experience and how it brings them closer to the fans. I didn't think that that was accurate. So I, I'd rather go see you two. Um, here's an example I'll use, and maybe I'll come away differently after tonight. But I'm actually rather excited because my daughter has seen the um, the Taylor Swift movie. I have not, but we're going to watch it tonight and this weekend. We're going to rent it. And visually, when I watched the trailer last night, I couldn't believe, I can't believe some of the things that she does in stadiums visually and, you know, creatively with this show. Well, I have seen the movie. Um, I did not see the live show, which I think you did, right? I, no, I didn't, but I bring it up because to me, as incredibly technologically advanced and visual the U2 show was, I, I think there's some of these stadium shows that are doing some things that are pretty mind-blowing well, as well. very interesting you say that because the Taylor Swift show was designed, and I say that word very specifically, the Taylor Swift show was designed to make the person in the last row of the stadium feel that the show was just for them, to, so that the person in the last row of the that. stadium yeah. would feel they were making a connection with an artist. Now, I think that's essential to the live music experience, that on some level, even if you're in the last row, you feel the artist is making a connection with you, and Taylor Swift... God bless her, is doing that. I'm not sure going forward. See, the bar keeps on getting raised. Now, as artists are going to think, what do I have to do to beat this magical spectacular that Taylor Swift has done, this magical uh, sensory experience that you two have done? Everyone's going to keep on wanting to raise the bar when you shouldn't and can't raise the bar. Let certain artists do that. But really, what an artist should seek, no matter what kind of music you perform, whether you're performing solo on a piano or you're performing, performing rap to backing tracks or whatever, you should be making a connection with an audience. You should make an audience member feel that they are being spoken to. And I hope that doesn't get left behind. Well, I, like, I, I, wanna, I just want to close by this because I am an outlier. And I've talked to many people, including several friends here in St. Louis who have seen this. And they want to go back and see you two again. And they were blown away and they loved it. I'm not taking that away from them. I'm just saying that my yeah. reaction was a little different. And I, you know, I tend to think it was the same reaction I mentioned this earlier as Barbie. Because I came back from Vegas and I watched Barbie finally. And that movie sucked ass. It really did. Yeah. It was worse than I ever could imagine that it was. Let's Before I let you go, though, let's talk a little uh, you know, club rock and roll here because because it was um, 50 years ago this week that CBGB's opened up, right? Every city, that's correct, every city, every town, every college town needs a dive where anybody can show up to play. And that was the magic of CBGB's. The magic of CBGB's wasn't that stars played there. 
It was that anybody could play there. Anybody could get a gig at CBGB's. And that's an important aspect of rock and roll, is that people who formed a band in their garage or in their living room or in their bedroom the week before should be able to go find a place to play and learn to talk to an audience and speak to an audience because the bands that played CBGB's didn't walk in there famous. They became famous yeah. by working hard and working hard in little rock and roll dives. So don't romanticize CBGB's. What it should be is every town in America, especially the college towns, needs a dive where young rock and roll bands can perform the week before, can show up and learn their craft and learn how to explode in front of an audience. We had a great place like that in Columbia, Missouri called the Blue Note. It still exists today, but when I was there, this would be, you know, the period of uh, 1983 to, I can't remember when they moved downtown Columbia, which is a a bigger theater, but it was a dive bar, rock and roll, and you'd have a circuit of bands that these days no one would have ever heard of, including some bands that were just more regional Missouri acts, and you had uh, a band called the Elvis Brothers that I loved that would come through there. The Rainmakers, they were from Springfield. Steve, Bob, and Rich, they were crossover with those two acts were different same people different names but it was some of, I saw the blasters there you'd have appreciation yeah. for that band from LA you know uh, just a grimy club lots of smoke that's right. packed but unbelievable musical experiences right and that's what CBGB's was you know CBGB's happened to be a dive bar that booked anybody at the right place and in the right time but you know what you create the right place in the right time by having the dive bar there first you have the dive bar, and then people will come. Absolutely. Uh, was there one act that you saw there that blew you away? I never went to CBGB's, never been there. Or the I whiskey. Have to be I never been to the whiskey either. You know, back in the day, and I'm talking about the late 1970s and early and mid 1980s, um, my heavy duty club going days, I preferred a club called Max's Kansas oh, City. Oh, yeah. I know Max's, right. Uh, I don't know why I preferred it, uh, but I did. Um, I'm certain that I saw, I saw a lot of great Sonic East shows at CBGB's. That's what I'll remember. Well, Tim Summer, I loved that you shared the U2 uh, story here this afternoon. I, I, I wish you could have been fantastic. there for it. I really do. I would have loved to have shared that That's with you. That's such a cool story, it though. It is. Uh, but thank you so much for all the musical contributions that you make throughout the year. And you have a great Christmas, and we'll talk in 2024. Uh, and happy, happy holidays and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. And, and Abby and Fred and Sue and everybody. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, we love Tim. you. Thanks a lot. You know, you can judge me, you can make fun of me, you can mock me, you can do whatever you want, but I really am looking forward to sitting down on my couch tonight and watching the Iris Tour movie with my daughter. It's like three hours, so we'll probably watch half tonight and oh, half be tomorrow or Sunday. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be rainy. It'll be a good time. I have a, a pretty darn good sound system to watch that movie on, yeah. and um, it's going to be fun to watch it with Alexa. She went with some friends and another friend of mine to a theater a few weeks ago to see it, so I have not seen it. I'm so, by the way, I'm so glad because I was one of those parents who thought about trying to take my daughter, and there was no way I was going to pay $4,000 a ticket or That's anything crazy. crazy like that. But I think in the end, you know, we always want to do things for our kids, and sometimes they're not the best things. For someone her age in particular, exactly. so I think you would agree, the movie is so much better Correct. than having to go through all the whole concert Correct. thing. Correct. Yes. When she's older, she'll appreciate it. I think she appreciates it now. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I will say that I'll give advice to, to parents out there who have kids 
you know, that are from, I would say, 6 to 12 years old who go to concerts. I've learned some things. Remember, I took her to mm-hmm. Katy Perry a couple of years ago, and she was pretty young. But what I realized then is, wait a second, if we're not in a row that has a little elevation or if she's not, she can't you know, see. She can't see. Uh-uh. So now when I do the tickets, if we're going to take her to a show, and really she's only been to um, Katy Perry and then Pink a couple of weeks ago. But every time you do something like that, there's a little bit of a learning experience. You yeah. Know? Oh, I'm sure. So. It, it, but the Figure movie, the movie version of this should be a lot of fun. I have an audio cut of the day, and unfortunately, I don't like to land on a big downer for the week. But I think this is pretty important, and it's serious, so we're going to get to it here. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well, it's sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. You know, what's interesting is, uh, if I had to think back, I bet we've used Chris Cuomo, former CNN star, on Audio Cut of the Day a few times over the years, but never in a way where I was complimenting him. My guess is we were making fun of Chris Cuomo and some of the things that happened to him in the past, especially when he was defending his brother and doing some of that crap. But you know where he is now? No. He's on News Nation. And O'Reilly was on, what, a couple of nights ago. Bill and Chris do a, a little, you know, Know, thing together where they spar, and, and I've seen that a couple of times, and it's pretty good. But I think you're going to find some Chris Cuomo fans here for this because listen to what happened with Chris Cuomo and News Nation, what they got to see. Today's been a heavy day um, because uh, three of us went to the Israeli consulate to watch some of the footage uh, that we've never seen. I do believe people should see this. I understand the sensitivity of the families. I understand the concern that if you don't want to believe that October 7th happened, well, then it doesn't matter what you see. But I do believe for many, for many, that there's an aspect of this that I don't think we appreciate. I realized something that I had missed before, okay? It took me immediately and deeply into a past trauma. The exact feeling that I had when I learned why 9-11 happened. Terrorists targeted the Twin Towers and Washington, D.C. to take out the great symbols that represent America. The method was not madness. They were sane. They were just evil. But the method was a message. Their unholy efforts triggered what Americans feared most. Terrorists robbing us of who and what we are about at home. So we made this uh, very clear on the roundtable earlier. Look, this is not just about Israel. And people in this country and your friends and family members, I'm not suggesting you do this over the holidays and cause trouble, but they need to know that this is not just about Israel. This is about Western civilization. And I'm with Chris Cuomo. I think everyone should have the option to see this video. Well, he saw it. If an enemy wanted to make sure that Israel would come for them, The message would be, we're going to take children, women, innocents, and more, tie them up, and burn them alive, just like the Holocaust, the ultimate fear of what the world can bring the Jews' way. When a decision is made that Jews are less than human and treated that way in words and deeds, I now know that is exactly the message Hamas sent on purpose, at scale. And I was not aware of that before. I had seen that bodies had been burned, but I did not understand or appreciate how intentional the effort was. And, you know, everything that he said in that rant after 
you know, what Jeez. you just heard was very consistent with everyone else who has seen these videos about the celebrations, the joy, the glee in, you know, beheading people, raping, killing, murdering. That's the difference. Even, you know, I can't remember if it was Douglas Murray or someone else even pointed out that even the Nazis had had reservations about the horrors, at least some of them, what they were doing, not Hamas. So there you go. There's your wow. audio cut of the day. Sorry to be a big downer. Sue, have a great weekend. You too. We'll talk on Monday. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 